and welcome to episode four of this limited series podcast on publishing addiction science, which is a collaboration between Ice Age and the SSA. As we hope you've noticed by now, this series is breaking down the process of academic publishing into easily digestible audio morsels. Now that we've all been put off our lunch, let's jump in. My name is Casey Calver, and I'm the executive officer of Ice Age, the International Society of Addiction Journal Editors. I'm also managing editor of the journal Addiction Science and Clinical Practice and editorial director at the Graken Center for Addiction and the Clinical Addiction Research and Education Unit, both at Boston Medical Center. And my name's Rob Calder. I'm the head of communications for the SSA, that's the Society for the Study of Addiction. Uh, throughout this series, we talk to publishers, editors-in-chief, and others involved in your manuscript, some of whom you never knew existed, and yet without whom the published evidence would be substantially less rigorous, accurate, and usable. This series is loosely based on a textbook published by Ice Age called Publishing Addiction Science. It can be downloaded for free from the Ice Age website. We've already talked about authorship, impact, and choosing a journal. In this fourth interview, Rob spoke with Layla Moore from Wiley, the publishers. Rob, can you tell us what you discussed? So yeah, I've been interested in open access publishing since I was first baffled by gold, silver, and bronze types of agreement at a team meeting perhaps seven years ago. And as with several other interviews in this series, the principle at the core of it, that, that published research and science should be available to all and not hidden behind a paywall, is, is fairly straightforward. But then when it comes to implementing this and working out all the details, it's something that then becomes really quite challenging and complex. Also, it would appear that the future is going to be in open access publishing, so it's worth getting on top of now if you can. I hope you enjoy this interview, which was recorded on the 7th of February, 2023. So my name is Layla Moore. I'm the Director of Open Access Policy at Wiley. Can you like briefly explain what open access is, what that means uh, for publishing? Open access in basic terms means that published content is available to anyone with an internet connection. Um, it gets a little bit more complicated when you start talking about things like Creative Commons licenses. Um, and there are different types of these licenses that are available that introduce certain restrictions around reuse. Um, this can range from anyone can reuse the content in any way that they wish to content only being shared for non-commercial purposes. This has become kind of more, um, I guess, prevalent in publishing in the last uh, maybe five, ten years. Why, why is this kind of drive for open access publishing uh, emerged? Um, open access publishing has been around for some time now, and it came about as research funders started to realise that more people that could access their research, more benefit that would have on society. Um, so publishers have worked really hard over the past 10 to 15 years, I can't believe it's that long, um, to make this happen by providing mechanisms for content to be published open access. Um, so we've worked really hard to respond to the needs of researchers who have been mandated by their funders to publish open access um, by providing compliant publication routes. Um, and this certainly hasn't been easy or straightforward, which is probably why it's taken as long as it has. Um, but we are getting there. So at Wiley, we now have over 500 fully open access journals and over 1400 of our journals offer an open access publishing option. Um, so this enables many more researchers to choose to publish open access. Uh, for an author, for an academic author who's submitting an article for publication, what are the benefit, benefits to them of, of their, their research going becoming open access? 
Well, there are, there are so many reasons why open access is really great. Obviously, beyond the fact that many authors are mandated to publish, so they are complying with their, their funders' policies. Um, other benefits, open access increases opportunities for collaboration, reduces duplication, speeds up groundbreaking discoveries and enables more people than ever before to access this published research. Um, whether, I don't know, that's a patient looking for information on illness, a teacher looking for new ways to work with students, or a researcher who discovers the next great opportunity for collaboration. Um, open access publishing enables articles to attract more diverse readership as well, which is really important. So people in parts of the world where journal subscriptions were previously out of reach can now access groundbreaking research with no barrier. Um, and this is a huge step forward in terms of global equality and the opportunity to solve some of the world's most challenging issues. So the kind of the predominant model before open access um, was that like universities or institutions would subscribe to essentially subscribe to journals um, in a kind of the reader pays for this. So has it been, you know, I guess the question is someone needs to pay for publishing to happen. Has it been challenging trying to work out where, how that happens and where that money comes from? Yeah, it has been challenging and it still absolutely is. And there are, are lots of conversations that go on around how these things are funded. One of the more recent mechanisms that we've been using at, at Wiley for achieving open access are transformational agreements. Um, so where publishers work with library consortia to put in place agreements to transfer funds that were previously used for subscriptions, which now move over to pay for article publication charges, which are called often called APCs. Um, so this method means that researchers based at participating institutions don't have to worry about paying for APCs as they're already covered by these institutional agreements with publishers. Um, and I guess the other, other issue that kind of comes up around things like equity. So while it's clear that open access provides many benefits and increases equity in terms of to research, it does introduce barriers to publishing for some people. Um, so in some parts of the world, finding access to funding for APCs can be really challenging. Um, and increasingly, equity has become a really big issue that's at the top of the agenda for many people when talking about open access. Um, so at Wiley, we participate in things like Research for Life, which is an organisation that, along with participating publishers, has provided access to content for low and middle income nations for some time. And as open access has grown in popularity, they now work with publishers to provide waivers and discounts for APCs. So this really helps in a way to make publishing more equitable. But we do completely acknowledge that there's still there is still an issue to solve around this. Um, and I think when a sustainable solution is found, this will be a really major development for open access publishing. Um, but for, for lots of people there, the, the, the costs of publishing, of open access publishing, are kind of built into their research costs. There was something in the US, wasn't there? Hasn't this been mandated recently? Yeah, so in the US, um, there was recently an announcement for the Office, um, Office of Science and Technology Policy, or the OSTP, which I always get wrong, um, around public access to federally funded content. So they were talking specifically about public access rather than open access. But one way that they can achieve this is absolutely through open access. And it's really driven the interest in open access in the US. So prior to this, open access was much more prevalent in Europe with organisations such as Coalition S, who were a group of primarily European funding bodies who really got together to drive the open access agenda. 
Um, so the announcement from the Office of Science and Technology Policy um, directed all federally funded agencies to submit proposals to ensure that the research that they fund is available immediately to the public at no cost. Um, and as I mentioned, one way for them to achieve this is to look at open access publishing. Um, and since this announcement went out, we're seeing a lot more interest from our publishing partners in the US in moving to open access and really sort of driving things forward. So we think it's a really positive thing. There's still stuff to work out around the funding mechanisms and things like licensing, but we absolutely think it's a positive move in the right direction. Um, is there any concern, like, so some, some research can be incredibly um, uh, technical, statistically advanced and, and very detailed. And um, look, there's lots of research that takes experts to, to be able to read and interpret it. Is there any concern about making that kind of um, material um, open access to a public who 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 might be uh, at risk of misinterpreting those findings? Um, I wouldn't call it a risk. I would say there are things that we can do to support the public when they're accessing this research. So, for a number of our journals, we provide sort of lay provide lay summaries and things like that where where it's kind of explained to someone who isn't an expert what the research means, and it's much more accessible to the public. So I think there's absolutely work to do around, around this, but I also think there's an awful lot of fake news out there. So, for example, around during the COVID pandemic, there were lots of there was lots of content that was accessed by the public, which maybe wasn't peer reviewed or properly verified that people took as being true. So I think actually it probably is better that journal content is made available to the public than, than content may be printed in the media that hasn't necessarily been verified. But I absolutely do think that publishers have a role to play here to make some of that more accessible to the public. It's about, it's about kind of providing those extras rather than instead of. It's like, we're not going to hide this and then give you the easy version. We're going to give you everything and it's all very... Exactly, yeah. and that kind of moves then more towards the open research movement where data's available and sort of um, methods are available and peer reviews are open as well so you can see who reviewed the papers and what their comments were. Um, sort of moving towards making the whole process open will actually really helped to increase trust and, and verify, you know, the research. The only other thing I was maybe going to mention was just around a little bit around transparency. So the kind of, because the business models are changing and libraries and funders are paying to publish, they want to understand a little bit more about what publishers are asking them to pay for. So I think in terms of future developments, I think transparency is becoming a much bigger thing and the expectation of authors and funders and libraries is that they want to see what they're being paid for they want to see how journals are performing um and at why you know we're working with a coalition s to make some of these things more open and providing more um, metrics and things on our journals just so we can be more open about you know how quick peer review times are or how well the journal's performing or what we're charged, what does the APC pay for? You know, what percentage of that APC goes towards peer review, what goes towards production, et cetera. And I think in the future, this is become, going to become a really basic expectation in open access publishing. Yeah, yeah. And 
do, do you think do you think that in say for 10 15 years everything will be open access do you see that that being the way that academic publishing is going or do you think there'll always be a kind of pay-per-view element um i think that's a really difficult question to answer i think in certain certain global regions and in certain subject areas i think in the next couple of years everything will be open and i think other parts of the world and maybe other subject areas it will be a much slower process so I still think it will be a little bit mixed by that time I think there will still be certain areas where maybe it hasn't taken off or for some reason they've chosen not to go down that route um but I do think that the publishers are kind of being led by what authors want so it may be that I'm completely wrong and everything will be open in the next five years um but it's really hard to tell and it's it's it takes time i think yeah. to get there it also kind of matches up with that drive for authors demonstrating the impact of their work. I mean, your work can't have an impact if people can't read it, can they? It's, you know, it's all kind of links into that. Um, lots of studies have been done by different publishers, which do, which do show that actually you get more citations, you get downloaded more, more people access your content. Um, so there is also that benefit to it, which I think is really important. Wonderful. This episode is one of a series on publishing addiction science hosted under the SSA's Addiction Edited Podcast Umbrella. Check back, like, and subscribe for future episodes on navigating academic publishing. See also the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center's podcast, Behind the Evidence, and Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. This episode is recorded in collaboration between IceAge and the SSA. The views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of either organization nor those of Boston Medical Center.